put the recording to start and do it. Go ahead and add. Um, I said about this empty state that I sometimes able to get that lasts for, let's say, 10 seconds. And then I sometimes can see a thought coming in and I can throw it out when I see it. But when I don't, it's completely gone. Then I just wander off and for, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds. And then I catch it, can come back. And it de and I saw that it really depends on my, I don't know if it's effort or something like that, that it depends on which state I get into when Sati kicks in. So if I don't have the right attitude or something like that, I just see it and okay, and I don't get into that cool state anymore. And yeah, but if I really see it and like, really, I see you, then then the aha, I see you is better than the aha, I see you. Exactly, exactly. Um, one point that I was going to make in there was the quality of thought and how we use the word thought. That um, we can actually talk about it in the sense of verbal thought. Mm -hmm. Now, that is one kind of thought. There is another kind of thought, which is a visualization kind of thought. An easy way that we can see people using visual thoughts is like a carpenter knows what his table looks like because he's already thought about it. But the thinking that he did was not in words like leg and shaving and whatnot like that. It's much more of a, a pictorial image. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the question then, I guess a general question for everybody is, what is thought? Do we only think that thought is verbal thought? Or are there other kinds of thoughts? And the Buddha puts all five of them there. So that, in fact, some thoughts are combinations of talking and thinking. Okay. In fact, um, one of the ways that one can look at the, uh, the Pali for the description of first jhana that we normally associate with and have the great value of applying the mind and sustaining the mind the roots of the word apply is uh, vidya, which is actually the word that we have derived as video. And the sustained thought is vacha, which is actually the word that we have for voice. Okay. And so if you look closely, you will begin to see that there are pictures in your uh, as thoughts very quickly moving in to being then described. Uh, so the picture comes first and then the uh, talking about it. And then the talking about it comes. Okay. Both of these things are there. Guess what? There is another kind of thinking. And okay. that is the thinking that we would do emotionally. You could go so far as to say that feelings are both manifested in the body as sensations and in the mind as thought. But it's not verbal thought and it's not visual thought. 
it's feeling. And the, that feeling that's a thought is also feeling that is stored as a memory in the, uh, the uh, cerebellum along with all of the other visual uh, uh, things. That in fact, I was curious for a long time is why uh, is memory stored uh, in the cerebellum, which is the very, very primitive part of the brain. And the answer to that is uh, concerning how much memory dogs have or how much memory other animals have, how much memories reptiles have, because we have a far more complex memory system than all the other animals do. But all that really means is that our cerebellum is a whole lot bigger. <laughs> okay. Because what we're doing is, is that we're storing visual, we're storing feelings, and we're storing um, verbal thoughts as merely audio. Okay. Because that's what we hear. And so that's what we remember. We remember the raw goods, but we always pack them together in a unit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that unit then ha almost always has a feeling component with it. And okay, so, we, so when we draw things out, we, we have those, those feelings that come with them. Now, why is this information useful? It's useful because we can begin to understand that just because the verbal is not so active right now, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that the other senses are not being active. In other words, verbal is an aspect of audio. And audio can still be going on while verbal is not. The thing that makes it verbal is much more in uh, mid-range part of the brain. Okay. What they call the mammalian brain, because it's mammals where we have our uh, herding instinct, our socializations, the, uh, the way that dogs communicate with each other. But you see, alligators don't communicate much with each other. They just eat each other. <laughs> Makes life simple. <laughs> well, some people live that way too, but, uh, when, when we go to that state of thoughtless that so many meditators talk about, is really just the verbal is closing down as thinking. All of the other kinds of thinking is still there. Okay, so you're saying if I re look really closely, there are still images, always. There's always some thinking. So what do you do? When you get to the state of being voiceless, which is a way of, of saying that that's actually uh, uh, getting it down to a very, very few words would be then the fruit of first jhana and then going right into the voiceless would be the entrance into the second jhana, but you're still in path. You haven't developed it yet. 
So basically, the first thing that happens when someone goes into second jhana is that they say, yippee ki I'm in first, I'm in second jhana. But by doing that, they're verbalizing the feeling. <laughs> okay. And so they fall back out of it. And many people will fall all the way out back into hindrances again and start thinking and, and, and whatnot about it. How did I get there? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So uh, this movement from first jhana into second jhana actually is a process that develops that skill of once we go silent, we stay silent. But all of the knowledge of um, a different kind of thinking becomes manifest. And remember that we entered this state through first jhana, which already had rapture or pity and sukha. It already had uh, great joy. Okay. But this is really nice. Okay. So what happens then is after. Um, let us say it this way. It's like kicking a football. The verbal is what the leg is that kicks the football. Once the football is in the air, the football don't need no leg. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he needed at one time to kick the thing off. Uh, and so... Once it's in the air now, what that meant is, is uh, what I'm basically saying is, is that we talk ourselves into feeling really good. And after we get ourselves into feeling really good, there's no reason to continue to talk about it to ourselves. <laughs> but rather just sitting there and enjoying the heck out of how good we feel. Okay, so when the goosebumps come, it's just, yeah. This is cool. When the goosebumps come, right, that's a good sign that you're practicing well. <laughs> this feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> Except the woo is okay. That's not really uh, verbalization. Well, it's, it's verbal, but not language. It's a sound <laughs> as opposed to the this feels nice. So the woo is one thing, and then this feels nice means now the mind has started up again. Okay. And what I mean by that the mind has started up again means that verbal dialogue. And that basically this verbal dialogue that we have going on is very, very much like back in the 1940s and 50s. Radio was king and television wasn't much there. But even when the sports arenas and the sports things became televised on television, what that meant, meant was that the same thing that they did during radio, they, content, they continued on. And this is what we're calling the sports announcer. Okay. okay, so the sports announcer there in the radio times is trying to give a blow-by-blow -blow description of the boxing match, except that he can't. 
He cannot yeah. verbalize everything that he sees. That in fact, while he's verbalizing, he's actually missing something and not seeing things that happen. Makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. All right. So this is what we mean then is is that we we carry around a sports announcer. <laughs> <laughs> That is doing a running uh, uh, sports cast of everything that happens to us. Okay. Okay. And this is what is lodged then in the Saliatana, this running dialogue that we have that um, interferes with the actual enjoyment of the senses themselves as they come in. Okay, so it's useless because we can just watch television. Mm -hmm. And so you yeah. could say, well, where did this running dialogue come from, especially within the context of Petitu Samapada? This is the result of perception that we take um, the sensory input that we are conscious of and we process it into making sense out of it. Okay. And sometimes when we make sense out of it, it, it seems like uh, a way of expressing it is everything falls into place, which means now we've got a visual image. Or the relaxing, whew, that means that I've got a, uh, um, a thought of um, cooperation with uh, a deep sense of satisfaction because I understand something. But a lot of the time, what we have instead is a verbal description of it. And that's not needed? Because, for example, it's, when I'm at, when well, I'm at it work... Well, it is not needed. It often interferes with our ability to continue to, uh, to take in reality. Okay. We take in reality and we process it. And if we process it very... Um, um, let us say if we process it uh, a, a little, then we can go back and get more sensory input and process that a little and get more sensory input and process, process that a little. And that's the way that, that things are better worked. The other way is to take something, process it, then process it some more, and then tell a story about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. And then we go get some more data and we process that and we process that and we add that to the story. This is that part of the verbal. And yes, the verbal is that which is dealt with first. This is why we even start and you see how to deal with verbal is with verbal. By talking oneself out of it, like <clears throat> well, in the way of comma that leads to the end of comma. I'm action <laughs> that leads to the end of action. Uh, okay. An example that's often used is the lion has a big thorn in his foot and the monkey comes by or the rat or whoever comes by and takes another thorn to use the, the new thorn to dig out 
the old thorn, the way that a modern doctor would pull out a, um, a, uh, a splinter. Okay. Okay. So, how do we do that then? Well, we begin to say we're going to keep the words to a, to a limit. And the okay. first limit that we put on them is wholesome versus unwholesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let us say then that one tree in the forest is a wholesome tree and that all of the other trees in the forest are thorn bushes, actually. And you've heard about the concept of the monkey mind. Yeah. Okay. Well, the monkey mind in general is just going to jump all over the place. But now we're going to start working with keeping the monkey only jumping around in this tree, the wholesome tree. Okay. Now you're, go- you're seeing where we're going with this. We first make boundaries and put the verbal thoughts within the context of that boundary. And one of the ways of doing that is by thinking about verbally what we're experiencing with the body, with the eyes. In other words, we start uh, having the monkey jump from the branch to the branch of this tree between the senses. So he's on this sense and on that sense etc. like that. And there may be some dialogue about it. The monkey's chattering also while he's jumping from branch to branch. But as we settle down in our meditation, we don't need the monkey describing or telling the story about which branch he's on. We just begin to experience more the branch itself. I'm a bit confused. Uh, so, for okay. example, now let's say now it's jumping around and I can feel my foot on the floor and I can see my, okay, my butt. Okay, this is sitting. what I'm meaning by that. Let me say it this way. That um, we can use the eyes to gaze and to see without describing to ourselves that which it is that we see. We don't sure. fix on an object. We don't mm-hmm. tell a story about the object. We don't go off. Okay, so I look out and I see the truck, but I only see the truck enough to know that it's the truck. Mainly seeing is gray and dark and silver, and that's all I see. But even those are words. Okay. Okay. So when we begin to see that, Oh, there is such a thing as actually seeing and feeling, because I'm doing that with the eye, but now we can recognize we can do that with the body, too. So that, in fact, while I'm taking deep breaths, I no longer have to tell myself or talk to myself in words about the deep breathing. I can just experience it directly. Okay. And then the monkey jumps to the eye that needs to be itched or scratched. <laughs> and then it jumps to the chin that needs to be felt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it jumps to the arm that's put down. Okay. So then just... it jumps to the head that's bobbing up and down. Okay. And so we begin to see what the, what the body is doing. But we don't have to tell ourselves a story about it so much. Isn't there this, I 
noting method or something like that? This would be the right way of noting, as opposed to the wrong way of noting is continuing to tell the story about it rather than just merely looking at it. Okay. So just note the nodding and without saying anything about it, just knowing that I'm nodding. Mm -hmm. Just the bare knowing. Okay. This is why we use the word bear. It comes without the story. It's like all you have is the, is the um, you've heard the story, <laughs> you've heard the story about the story of you can't uh, judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Okay. What this means is we're, all, we're not interested in what's in the book. We're only interested in the cover. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're not interested in the story behind the story or the story itself at all. We're interested in sensual input. So that we can really begin to experience the I feel good without having to talk ourselves into it. Is once we kick the football into the air, the football don't need no leg. We don't have once we get ourselves in the state of real satisfaction then we can become satisfied without talking to ourselves about it. Okay, so the process would be talking oneself into this tingling thing, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and then just noting. Just begin to watch it and experience it. Now, um, there are other techniques that can be used with this in the sense of uh, tying things down further. Um, in the northeast of Thailand, they use a particular mantra, and that mantra is Budo, with Bu on the in-breath and Do on the out-breath. So, do, Bu, then Do. Ah, okay, really verbally, like really saying it. Bu, Do, and not in the and mind. You, and when you go at with Do on the out-breath, as the Do goes out and the breath goes out, the mind will go quiet. Goes completely quiet. And the idea is, can you keep it quiet in this great state of joy when you take the next in-breath and, and as you do that, that comes in boo. So at this level, this is like the height of uh, the, or the fruit of first jhana. It's when you've got the mind so steady and so focused that it's only down to a few words, but there's a whole lot of experience in it. Okay, so you're doing that and then still doing the noting. Okay, right. And then the, uh, eventually, then the next question would be, can you actually take the next in-breath without having to start the mind up again? Uh, I, I don't get it. Because you got it stopped. When you did the Budo and the Do was on the out breath, mm -hmm. you keep the breath on an out.
you're focusing, keeping the out-breath out, the mind doesn't start up again. The connection did cut out. Okay, I'll repeat me. what I just said. <laughs> when we go to the out-breath on Do, mm -hmm. then we want to keep that out-breath long, lingering, making it longer and longer, and the making it longer and longer is what we're focusing on. That's what we're paying attention to. That's what we're, quote, quote, thinking about without telling ourselves a dialogue about it. So that then the next in-breath will now be another boo, and the out-breath will be another go, and it lingers on so lingering, lingering, and then we take another in-breath with the boo, and another breath with, uh, out-breath with the dough, having that out-breath, uh, after we exhale, we don't inhale, we leave time for the mind to be completely quiet. Okay, so after exhaling completely, just some waiting. And, our, and what is our focus on is keeping the out-breath out. Not to the point of choking ourselves, because if we start choking ourselves, we'll start thinking about it, and the whole thing will just blow up. So we have to let it linger to the point before it blows up on us, and then gently take another in-breath with boo. Okay. Because if it blows up on us, that means that the mind is going to explode in, what are you doing? And all of that kind of verbal stuff that would come up. So is and also, we lose the jhana because uh, the excitement comes up in a different way, almost a panic. So now we're back into victim state. We're no longer in the satisfied um, first jhana, uh, the victor, the pity. We feel really good. Okay. So when we're holding that out breath, we don't want to hold it out to the point that we lose it. We want to only keep extending it and then starting back with an in-breath so that you can get the mind down to just two syllables, just one word. Boo on the in-breath and do on the out-breath. By doing that and paying attention to it, this takes sharp focus and attention, but by doing that, the verbal begins let us say you've got it in a in a tight little box now. <laughs> you've got it down to one mantra. And so it's a whole lot easier to get two words out down to real silence and get it and keep it that way than it is to start with an ordinary mind this with the monkey jumping all over the place. And so the monkey is then tied to this boo dough, or can it just jump to, there's a bird chirping, there's this No, sensation. it's a process of training. It's a process of training, and the first thing that we do is, is that we get the monkey limited to only the wholesome kind of thinking, which okay. is actually where we want to wind up anyway. We don't want to get the mind into a state to where it doesn't think at all. Okay. Because we got to live our lives. You, <laughs> if you yeah. if you go into first into second jhana 
and absolutely remain there or any of the other higher jhanas and it's actually the higher the jhana then the more true this is if you can stay in second jhana or if you did stay in second jhana and there's a whole lot of reasons for you to not stay in second jhana but if you did you might wind up waking up out 24 hours later in the morgue or in IC uh, in the intensive care unit I mean <laughs> They'll be having you out on the slab and you're just enjoying the heck out of it, but you're not thinking about what they're doing. So there's no fear. Okay. So that's the definition of second jhana, no thinking. Right. We're completely out of it. Okay. That means that when we're doing these practices, we have to be in a really secure and safe location. And the folks around us know what we're doing. Okay, so in second jhana, even these mental images are not there and all this stuff. In the second jhana, for sure, mental images are there. Okay, I'm, I'm not the, for sure that's... these really, really good feelings. What we are, what the second jhana does is remove the, um, the verbalization, the vocalization, the, the sob story, the running dialogue, the uh, conceptualizations, the, the, the story, the blow-by-blow -blow description of what's happening. Basically, how we make sense of the world, us humans, is by telling ourselves stories about what's happening. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's still there in the first genre. And we can stop that by going from the first jhana. See, the first jhana is all about collecting the mind and getting it focused in a way so we can keep it in uh, one place. And we're working in many different areas at the same time. We're working with the body, keeping it oxygenated and breathing. We're working on the feelings because by the time we have first jhana, we feel really good. We feel really good. So mm -hmm. um, that's what we will carry in the second jhana is this um, experience of feeling really good. And we also plan for the second jhana by applying and sustaining the thoughts in the sense of getting them together. We apply it and sustain it into a tighter and tighter little area till we get it down to just boo dough. That's the last thing left. Okay, so the gold's in the second jhana. No, it's a toy to play with. Ah, okay. It's a toy to play with. If you've gotten the mind that quiet, you're sitting there with nothing else to do. Why don't you just stop thinking about how good you feel and go directly into feeling that good? <laughs> okay. That's an interesting way of saying it, yeah. Once you get into the first jhana and you really, really feel good, you got into that first jhana, you kicked that football with the leg, the vocalization. We talked ourselves into feeling good. Aha, I see you, Myra, and all of that. Yeah. Okay. So once we get the football in the air, we could say that the actual striking of the of the foot with the football then 
is the moment <clears throat> when the leg is no longer needed. And that the sooner we can drop the, uh, uh, the thinking, then the higher or the easier we can experience those really, really good feelings without having to have a running dialogue about them in the second jhana. Then it's in the third jhana is when we begin to work with those feelings also, but let's not go that far into it because you've got to, uh, uh, to come up to uh, this level first. Uh, and in fact, what the second jhana actually points to is that there's actually three skills that are associated with first jhana. The skill of easily going into first jhana, the skill of maintaining first jhana and having it linger, the sustaining of it, but that very learning to sustain it then brings on the third quality that is so confusing to people, and that is uh, the skill of coming out of the first jhana. Okay, in what sense? Right, because the, the skill that we're talking about of coming out of the first jhana is the removal of the final part of the vocalizations that we've been doing, that we've been corralling. In other words, the skill of coming out of first jhana is going into second jhana, as opposed to coming out of first jhana is going back into hindrances. Ah, uh, okay. And that's too easy to do. That's, that's not a skill. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And that is to let this monkey that's in this one wholesome tree jump out of the tree off to some other uh, unwholesome trees. Okay. Okay. So basically what we're talking about then is with this understanding that we can get uh, the mind... I'm... <laughs> I'll do anything I can to avoid the word concentration. <laughs> <laughs> we can use focus. We can use keeping the monkey in one tree, but we don't want to use the word concentration because that looks like it's hard work. Yeah. No, this stuff is so easy peasy. This is, but all we have to do then is basically to stop doing. And that's why it's really easy peasy, but we have to put on the brakes because we have been in the habit of uh, perpetual motion and perpetual dialogue to talk to ourselves constantly. So this is one of the things you can begin to notice is that, in fact, you do have a secondary running dialogue to all of your experience in life. And that when we sit down quiet, in a meditation hall, that's basically all that's left because we basically shut down all the senses. That's what the whole idea of seclusion is, is here you are sitting on the floor. You're not waving your arms around. You're not looking at anything. Everybody's quiet. And so there's, uh, there's not much going on with senses. 
which means that what we're really left with is this this running dialogue that was there until we recognize oh wait a minute there is a great deal of sensory awareness going on while i'm sitting here on the floor i'm breathing <laughs> and that creates a tremendous amount and then we recognize the whole body is alive that we're sitting here in this um enormously wonderful feeling complex and if we could just stop talking to ourselves about the past and the future we could experience this marvelous machine right here in this present moment so how we do that is by taking this dialogue that we have running and focusing it on this present moment okay so the basic thing is to ignore the dialogue and just let in all sensory input and, and just and, process and it without talking about it exactly to allow yourself to stop talking about it and just experience it but if you now that i've told you this if you hate that dialogue if you hate it then whenever you hear it now you'll become dissatisfied with it and you've blown your um possibility of jhana in this moment Okay, so then it's back again, like other, what we're going to do is when we catch it, we direct it. Okay. Aha, I see you. Is directing that thought. And then back to the sensory input. And then and then we say, uh, wow, it's better to sit here and feel good. Let me feel good. Let me enjoy the touch of the air, the touch of the cloth. Let me enjoy this breath. It's a marvelous breath. It keeps me alive. And as I breathe in, I breathe in joy. And as I breathe out, I relax and sigh. So this is how we can use that those verbal words. Okay, read it to that point and then let it go again. Uh-huh. Then okay. we can go into boo. Do. That word do really resonates in the cavity of, of the body. The whole body just tinkles and vibrates. Okay. And all that, so like, let's say I sit down, I do all the stuff that we did with Aha, I see you, Mara, until, until this goosebump thing goes on and I think my mind is quiet, and then I just... Start. I think my mind is quiet. I heard that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trusting it until this point. <laughs> well, basically in that sentence, you change the definition of the word think. And what's I think my mind is quiet. How can you think the mind is quiet? You have to think the thought the mind is quiet in order for it to be quiet. But then when you're thinking the thought the mind is quiet, it's not being quiet. It's thinking the thought the mind is quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Generally, when the mind gets quiet, it's a surprise. It's a really exhilarating surprise. 
Okay. It's like really strong goosebump kind of surprise when you okay. catch the mind actually quiet. <laughs> and so the first thing that happens is we we have the thought the mind is quiet. Sometimes that thought is Yippee-ki-yo! or you know, <gasps> wow, you know that kind of thing. Okay. It's a it's an exhilarating surprise. It brings up that 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 pity really strongly. Okay. Okay. And so we fall right out of it because we started thinking about the mind is quiet. The question is, can you get the mind to go quiet and allow it to stay quiet? Without thinking about it being quiet. Mm -hmm. okay. Without thinking about it being quiet. Okay. Good question, yeah. We'll look into that. <laughs> All right, go have fun with it. So one, if you one make it a goal, if you make it a job to do, it'll be oh so hard. Okay. I've still one doubt left about this this feeling in my face, and okay. always when these goosebumps comes, there is there's this little doubt about is this caused by right practice. Or is this caused by getting crampier in my face? Let's change the question. Let's change the question to, is it okay this is here? Is this? Yeah. Okay. Is it okay? Can I go off and do all the other stuff that I've got to do with Anapanasati and just let it be? So the cause is not important of feeling good. <laughs> no, but not liking it is really an important hindrance. Okay. Being afraid of it, having doubts about it. Yeah. That's one I still catch a lot. Mm -hmm. Basically, what I think will happen is, is that it will become so important that you'll actually allow yourself to relax. Then it won't matter anymore. In fact, it will relax. Okay. But we can see that as the relaxation is kind of the outcome. And that's a question because uh, in, in one sutra or more, they talk about relaxation is, <clears throat> let us say, the actual next to the last step before full sukha comes in. And then in other places, like in the Anapanasati Sutta, it's not even, well, in the Anapanasati Sutta, it's obscure, but in other suttas, it doesn't even mention relaxing the body as part of the, um, the five aggregates of the first jhana, but it really comes along. Okay. In other words, if you feel really, really good, then the body will relax. But in the process of it relaxing, that may be when you run into residual tensions that are there stronger 
that you're not aware of, but now that you're really getting relaxed, you can begin to feel those things and they'll melt away. And that was what's confusing me or confused. Yeah, it's like, okay, I'm starting to feel more satisfied, but in the same time, I'm starting to get more annoyed by my face. So <laughs> like, don't, yeah, don't let uh, that grind you down. Just say, okay, yeah, you're an old friend. You've been there a long time. Okay. And that too shall pass. Not important. And you can become satisfied with it being there. Could the right attitude also be, because that's what sometimes helps, is to be satisfied with it being there as a challenge? Like, yeah, you are there and I still can be satisfied, so that's woo. Exactly so. That's a major point. Congratulations for bringing that up. Once you can go ahead and be satisfied with that, and I often use the example of an itch, that we don't have to scratch, that I'm bigger than that itch. I do not have to move my hands right now. I can leave my hands where they are and let that itch be. And I'm the king here. I'm the emperor. <laughs> okay, so that's I good. I do not have to chase down that criminal. I can just let him be out there. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's the way of looking at it. Yes, you can have, and that's part of the pity. That's part of the can do. Is that, ah, oh, that's nothing. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So you go practice that way. And, it, I'll and, do. and that will be relaxing. I mean, think about it. If the king is annoyed by that bandit, then the king's not relaxed. But if the king knows it, he can go get that bandit anytime he wants it. But right now, he's just going to leave him alone. Okay. Cool. And so let it be. It's okay. You can get all you need, and that will follow along. And you okay. can do all of that other stuff. You can rub your face, and you can feel good. Uh, you can let it out. You can blow your nose, drink some water. You can do all kinds of things to take care of yourself. But the residual part is going to still be there for a while, and that's okay. It's all right. Okay. <laughs> and then you can let yourself feel really good and tingling and vibrantly alive. Taking those deep breaths and feeling really good. Keeping that mind focused in the wholesome. Okay, and to, to just wrap it up, the wholesome is always the sensory input. So that's mm -hmm. like my tree. Right, just keep, yeah, keep going back to your sensory aware awareness. Okay. What does it feel like? What is the body doing? Uh, sensory awareness, especially the tactile, knowing where the body's postures are. Eventually then, the question is, once you get into the first jhana and get yourself in that really good state while you're sitting alone, can you open your eyes still maintain that? Can you now let visual input come in and still maintain <laughs> that state of joy? 
I got the answer because I tried and I can never get into it with open eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So keep developing those skills, keep going, and you'll make it. You're doing great, Marcel. I'm really pleased with how Thanks. you're practicing. Okay. Good progress. All right. Well, we'll see you later. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.